Today's readings from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through to 17, which is on page 1831 of your Black Bibles. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you, sorry, if any of you, as a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, Mark, and good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Unley. Thank you for being with us today. If you're visiting, a special welcome to you. I hope you were warmly welcomed as you made your way in and enjoyed perhaps a cup of coffee with our new coffee gear today. I hope you've been enjoying that. On the uh, screen behind me today, you'll see a phone number. Uh, If you have any questions today that come out of our passage, or indeed any questions from our past couple of weeks uh, that are to do with Colossians, I'd love you to text in. Uh, to this phone number a little bit later on this morning, I'll get back up and I'll try my best to answer any of those questions you have. I should just warn you as well that this phone number is my phone number. I'll be using my phone today, not an office phone. If you want your question to remain anonymous and you think for one reason or another I might have your phone number in my phone, maybe get the person next to you, use their phone or something like that, text in this morning. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Colossian church. Together we've seen 
the glory and the supremacy of Jesus? And I've asked you this question, is your view of Jesus big enough? We've seen the big idea in this letter is all about walking in Jesus. Not turning to the left or right, but walking in him. Not looking for hope or meaning in anything else. We've seen that walking in him is part of the normal Christian life. It's what we do as those who love Jesus. And we've seen that being in him brings with it great benefits. It brings assurance and comfort and peace with God and protection. Today we're looking at the first section of chapter 3 in this letter. And I think it'll help us to see this morning how how we are to walk with Jesus. I hope today that you leave here knowing that to walk in Jesus involves taking off the old ways of doing things, the old behaviors, and putting on in their place the new. It's about stripping off the old behaviors and putting on the new heavenly ones. Today's passage is a great passage for us to be looking at as a brand new church because I think it goes at least part of the way to answering a question that I hope many of us have. And that's, what sort of a church should we be here? What should we be like as a church? You might have an answer to that already if you do. I'd love you to jot it down on our communication slip on the leaflet. What sort of a church should we be? You might like to jot something down on on your uh, leaflet slip and put it into the everything box a little bit later on. This morning I want to do something a little bit different before we really get underway. And that's, I want to read to you from a children's book. I know that most of you are adults here. And I know that we also have two excellent kids programs already running here. But this story in this kids book, it illustrates, I think, what's happening in Colossians chapter 3 so well that I couldn't miss this opportunity to read to you from a kids book. So I'm just going to pull up a seat to do that. I've got my armchair from the library here. Many of you will know this book. It's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's by the preacher's friend C.S. Lewis. If you haven't read this book before, or if you don't know the story, I need to give you a little bit of background before I start reading. This bit in the story is about two boys, Edmund and Eustace. Eustace is a brat. He's a whinger. He's from England. He's a typical pom. <laughs> he, his words sting. His words are harsh. He's a beast. In fact, you might think of Edmund, uh, Eustace as a dragon, And in fact, in just a few pages before this section in the story, Eustace has been turned into what he actually is like. He's been turned into a physical dragon, and now he sees himself for what he truly is, as a dragon. And this bit of the story is is, uh, Eustace recounting how he turned back into a boy with Edmund. So let me just read it to you. Uh, There's another character in here. His name is Aslan. He's the lion. He's also the Jesus character in the story. Eustace says, I won't tell you how I became a dragon until I can tell the others about that. But what I want to tell you about is how I stopped being one. Well, go ahead, said Edmund. Well, last night I was more miserable than ever, and this beastly armoring that I was wearing was hurting like anything. 
See, Eustace was wearing an armband when he was a boy. It was still on when he turned into a dragon and now his large arm as a dragon is hurting. Eustace laughed a different laugh from any Edmund had heard him before and he slipped off the bracelet that now so easily fell off his arm. Go on with your story. Well, anyway, I looked up and I saw the very last thing I expected to see, a huge lion coming slowly towards me. And one queer thing was that there was no moon last night, but there was moonlight where the lion was. So it came nearer and nearer. I was terribly afraid of it. You may think that being a dragon, I could have knocked any lion out easily enough, but it wasn't that kind of fear. I wasn't afraid of it eating me. I was just afraid of it, if you can understand. Well, it came close up to me and looked straight into my eyes, and I shut my eyes tight. But that wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. You mean it spoke? I don't know now that you mention it. I don't think it did, but it told me all the same, and I knew I'd have to do what it told me. So I got up and followed And it led me a long way into the mountains. And there was always this moonlight over and around the lion wherever we went. So at last we came to the top of a mountain. I'd never seen it before. And on top of this mountain there was a garden. Trees and fruit and everything. And in the middle of it there was a well. I knew it was a well because you could see the water bubbling up from the bottom. But it was a lot bigger than most wells, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down to it. The water was as clear as anything, and I thought if I could get in there and bathe, it would ease the pain in my leg. But the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any of the words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I didn't have any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sorts of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course, I thought, that's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it, and I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. Oh, but it was the most lovely feeling. So I started to go down to the well to bathe, but I was just about to put my feet in the water, and I looked down, and I saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, I said. It only means that there's another smaller suit of skin underneath the first one, and I'll have to get that off too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and I stepped out of it and left it lying beside the other. And I went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again, and I thought to myself, Oh dear, how many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin just like the two others. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. And then the lion said, Oh, I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. 
I can tell you. But I was pretty desperate now, so I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of peeling the stuff off. You know if you've ever picked a scab off a sore place. It hurts, but oh, it's such fun to see it coming away. Yes, I know what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt, and there it was, lying on the grass, only now so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was tender underneath, now that I had no skin on, and it threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And I started swimming and splashing, and I found the pain in my arm had gone. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. You'd think me phony if I told you how much I felt about my arms. I know they've got no muscle and they're pretty mouldy compared to most, but, but, uh, but after, after the lion took me out and dressed me, dressed you with his paws, well, I don't exactly remember that bit, but he did somehow or the other in new clothes, the same as I've got on now, as a matter of fact, and then suddenly I was back here, which makes me think it must have been a dream. No, it wasn't a dream, said Edmund. Why not? Well, there are the clothes for one thing, and you've been, well, you've been undragoned for another. What do you think it was then, asked Eustace. I think you've seen Aslan, said Edmund. There's our story. The reason I tell you this story is I think C.S. Lewis must have been reading Colossians chapter 3 before he wrote this section of the voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's a great story, isn't it? Essentially, it's saying this, if you are walking in Jesus, if he is your life, then you've died with him, you are raised with him now, which means he'll be at work in your life helping you to cast off the old dragon-like bits of ourselves and in their place to put on clothes that are suitable for the age to come, heavenly clothes, clothes that distinguish us as people who are in Jesus. It's him, Jesus, that stripped us bare. It's him, Jesus, who is dressing us for the age to come. And just as a boy is thankful when he's turned back into a boy after having been a real dragon, so we have great cause, don't we, to give thanks to God for his work in our lives. If you've got your leaflet there, you'll see those ideas listed there in the outline of where we're going today. Let me show you how this works itself out in the text of Colossians. If you've got your Bibles open, I'd love you to turn to page 1831 as I just read to you the first few verses of chapter 3. So it's the first uh, four verses of chapter 3 of Colossians. 
Paul says this, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you remember from last week, we saw in chapter 2 of this this letter, reading kind of between the lines, that the Colossians were being persuaded by those around them to add to Jesus. They were being enticed to look elsewhere for meaning or holiness. But here Paul lays out the reality for them. If you're walking in Jesus, then you already have everything that you need. You've already obtained new life. If you're walking with Jesus, you're already part of the people of God. You're already in. You belong. Let me just pause for a moment just to reflect with you again briefly about what it means to be in Christ or in Jesus. You would like to remember from chapter 1, verse 16, that we were created in Him, through Him and by Him. We were reconciled through Him, by His blood shed on the cross. It's in His physical death of His body that we're presented holy and without blemish. In Christ, the fullness of God dwells. And in Him, we've been circumcised. That means we've been set apart and we've been buried and raised in Him by faith. hope you're beginning to see how important this idea of being in Jesus is. And Paul is saying to the Colossian church and to us also, if you're walking in Him, you are secure. You can't get any more in with Jesus than being in Christ. Can you see how that works itself out in terms of our status as Christians today? See, Paul says, we have already died, that happened in the past, we've already died, with Jesus we are now risen with Him, that's our present reality, and we will one day appear with Him in glory, that's what's happening in the future. Can you see how Paul is laying out the already and kind of not yet aspects of the Christian life in these first few verses? Of chapter 3. You see, as Christians, we've already died to the old way of life and we've been raised to the new. But this old age that we're in, this world we're in, it hasn't yet been wound up. And so we're waiting eagerly, I hope, for Jesus' return. And then we who are hidden now with him will then share in his glory. Then we'll be made perfect in every way. But now in the here and now, what remains for us is to have that new life that we're looking forward to begin to work itself out in the present. And that means that we'll need to put off our old self and put on the new. I wonder if you notice in the passage there are kind of two lists of behaviours here, kind of two layers of a dragon skin, if you like, that Paul wants us to shed. The first is in verse 5 where it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. I think Paul groups these behaviours together because they're 
idolatrous behaviors, behaviors or things that get in the right and proper worship of God in the way of that. They're behaviors that steal our attention from Him. And Paul says, put them to death. He says, don't turn away from Jesus by following any other idol. The second list is in verses 8 and 9. These vices are kind of principally to do with the tongue, aren't they? Have a look at them there. They're things that we kind of might say. I think Paul groups them together because these are things that are are damaging to communities. Things like anger, rage, malice and slander. They're the sort of things that tear communities apart. See, the first list are those things that destroy our relationship with God. The second list are those things that destroy our relationship with each other. Both are prickly and thorny and damaging, like a dragon. Both of these lists are characteristics of communities that have gone bad or become distorted. Everything's twisted out of shape and so we try to make sense of it and that just makes it worse. Those who are in Christ, we have no excuse for behaviours like this. See, Jesus is the perfect example of what humanity should be like. And as those who are in him, we're called to live out that life as those who are already in heaven here in this world. It's a place of perfect community, a place where there's no inequality, no division, no Jew or Gentile, the passage says, but also we could say no rich or poor, no unemployed or employed, no racism, ageism, sexism, a place where we are united together in Christ. I asked you before, what sort of a church should we be like? What would you like us to be like? How good would it be if we were a church that was united in Christ, no divisions, no inequality, a community where we're all in Christ, living for Him. But none of us were born yesterday, and we know that it's very hard, isn't it, to change behaviours or practices like this. We know that even when we want to do that, inevitably we still mess it up many times. And the truth is that on our own, we'll never be a perfect community. We just can't do it on our own. Just like Eustace scratching at his scales, we so end up, so often end up just where we started, with another dragon skin underneath the first. But see, what Paul's talking about here, he's, he's pointing us back to the death that Jesus died. And he's saying we have died with him or more accurately, in him. And sure, we're called to participate in this action of scratching away the scales, but ultimately, it's God who is active here. If I like to turn back in your Bibles to chapter 1, verse 13, it's so clear here as we read it. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He has rescued us. See, we might participate in the taking off. We're called to do that. 
but it is Jesus who really is able to make the difference. Just like with Eustace scratching his scales in the story, where it's Aslan who's finally able to really strip off the dragon skin, so it is in Jesus' strength that we're able to put to death the old behaviours. Or even more so, that we're able to come to realise that the old behaviours have already been dealt with. I love the way that one of the commentators I read put this, and he's an old man writing his commentary. He says, let the old man who has already died in baptism be dead. See, having stripped off the ugly dragon skin with Jesus' help, Paul then tells us and encourages us to put on a new set of clothes. And I'd like you to see this morning that these clothes are like a uniform for those who belong to to Jesus. Let me read to you from verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, clothes are important, aren't they? Without them, we'd be, well, we'd be naked to start off with. So having had our old dragon skin ripped off, God clothes us. He gives us new clothes to put on. And we see them in the text here. They're compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, humility. Bert the Builder helped us see that in the kids' talk. And clothes have a number of functions, don't they? They cover our nakedness. They keep us warm. This morning I want you to particularly see that clothes also give us an identity or an association. For example, let me show you how this works. I'm going to put this, put this on over here. Now if I put this on, I don't know how obvious it is, but some of you perhaps recognise what I'm trying to be. As I understand it, I'm trying to be an Australian soccer fan. And if you know the uniform... You will know that I must then for be into soccer. It'll tell you kind of who I belong to, the Australian team. But because it's a soccer uniform, it'll also kind of tell you a little bit about me, won't it? Because it's about sport, you'll know that I probably have an underlying competitive edge. Because it's about soccer, you'll know that I probably have a tendency towards hooliganism. (laughs) Maybe my idea of a great Saturday night is throwing flares into a crowd, that kind of thing. It's really no different with the Colossian letter here. The clothes that God dresses us with are clothes that identify us as those who are in Christ. And they identify us as people of the age to come. They're clothes which group us with Jesus and the kingdom which he is ushering in. So that means that as a church, I hope that we'll be distinguished by our dress. Now, I don't mean that I want you to go out and get cardigans and socks to wear with your sandals or anything like that. But I do hope and pray that as a church, we would be distinguished by the clothes that Paul speaks of. Compassion and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness And I hope we'd be a place of real and abundant forgiveness and a place of love. You might have heard it said that the church should be a foretaste of heaven. 
Now, you might have had experiences with church and you may say, how could a church ever be that? Granted, churches have got it wrong and wrong very badly sometimes. But can you see here in this passage how these clothes are the clothes that are worn in heaven and for those of us who are in Christ, we're encouraged to be dressed with them now. Sure, our dress sense is imperfect. You know, the clothes don't quite fit as well as they should. Perhaps we've only got one sock on and our shirts might be untucked. It's, it's that kind of thing. But nonetheless, these are heavenly clothes. These are the things that God clothes us with. What sort of a church should we be? I hope we're distinguished by our heavenly clothes. I hope we're known for our love. I hope we're known for our compassion and for our kindness and for our gentleness. And because it's God who is the one who does the clothing, it's God who dresses us, I hope we're known for our thankfulness, especially our thankfulness to God. Let me read on in our passage. We're down to verse 15 now. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. It's not the first time that Paul's encouraged the Colossian church to be thankful. He's done it twice in chapter 1. And if you remember those summary verses, those verses that kind of summarize the whole of Colossians in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, you'll see Paul asking them to give thanks. Why do we do this? We're to be thankful because all of this, the shedding of the dragon skin, the dressing in heavenly clothes, the setting our hearts and our minds on the things of above, all of that is possible only because of the work of Jesus. And it's to him that our thanksgiving needs to be directed. It's because of him that we exist as the new humanity. And if we know that, if we really acknowledge it, I think we'll want to give thanks to Jesus for those things. And if we're really thankful, it follows, doesn't it, that we'll want to worship and praise him and sing of his glory and his majesty and his power and his honor. We'll want to listen to his voice and we'll want to put his words into practice. And that's what Paul says in the following section. Let me read this to you. He says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Great words, aren't they? I'm going to pray for us that we would be a church that lives this out. Father God, we thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he has stripped us of our dragon skin and has already clothed us with the clothes of heaven. And so we give you great thanks. Father, we ask that you would use this church here at Unley to declare your power and majesty. Please help us to be a place where the message of Christ dwells among us richly. May we be a place where we sing your praises with great gratitude. For you sent Jesus to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and you've brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love. Amen. We've got one question that I uh, think is a great question, one that I'd love to help you think through. I don't know if I've got the, the answer fully worked out in my mind yet, but I'll have a go anyway. 
the question is, can you kind of elaborate a little bit on what it means to be hidden in Christ? So if you have got your Bibles there, let me read to you verse 3 of Colossians chapter 3. It says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean to be hidden? Well, that's a good question. Here's a, a few thoughts. I reckon if you were walking up the street and there was someone coming towards you from the other side, just by the way that they were moving, you probably couldn't tell whether they were Christian or not, right? Um, although we're clothed with the new clothes of the new age to come, heavenly clothes, we look, in most cases, just like everybody else. And that's because we're waiting for Jesus to return in verse 4, and then we will appear with him in glory. So we still kind of look the same, so our life is hidden in him, so although we're called to behave differently, we still look the same as everyone else, and we still fall into the same traps and those sorts of things as well. So that's one aspect, I think, of what it means to be hidden. Another might be that um, it's a good way, isn't it, of depicting what our reality is before God. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, but he sees Jesus, he sees his son. That's how the Bible kind of uh, depicts what happens on our judgment day. So it's another aspect of what it means to be hidden in Christ. And a third thing that I think I think might still be on view here a little bit, it's not quite, perhaps quite as present, but it's this idea of being hidden in protection almost. So if you've got your Bibles there, you might like to look at Psalm 27, which is on page 862. It's on page 862, Psalm 27, verse 5. says, it says, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. I think there's kind of an aspect here. It's perhaps not as strong as the present and future aspect, but an aspect of being hidden in the sense that God will protect us and look after us. So primarily I think what's on view here is that although because we live in the present age, we kind of don't appear yet in glory and that's to come in the new age. I hope that makes sense. If you want to talk about that bit more with me later, please come and do so uh, maybe over a cup of tea or coffee. And please can I encourage you to keep SMSing questions in over the coming weeks. We love to answer questions. It's a good way of making sure that what I'm saying makes sense for all of you. Thanks very much.